0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you for joining me on another exciting episode of Data. My name is Brian, and I look forward to sharing with you another amazing guest today. But first, if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please make sure you get out there and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now sit back and enjoy. Welcome to
1: another episode of Dad Up, everybody. I'm excited that you're here. If you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. My guest today is Jeremy Candelaria. He's a husband of 20 years and a father of four. He's a best-selling author, blue-collar business expert, and a disciplined of developmental coach, which we'll get into. Jeremy is also a full-time ministry and is passionate about helping people win in all areas of their life that matters most. Please welcome Jeremy Candelaria, Dad Up. Welcome to the show, brother. Ryan, thank you so much for having me. I am
2: absolutely honored to be here with you today. Awesome.
1: Um, Well, I appreciate it. Real quick, for my listeners who, you know, may not know who you are, want to learn a little bit more about you, give me a little bit of backstory about Jeremy, kind of about your life, and then also uh, transitioning into your family, how many kids you have.
2: Awesome. So I would have to say, you know, the biggest part of me is the fact that I've been married over 20 years. I'm 39 years old, and so I got married at 18, got married young. We could talk about that, but – that, that's that's huge, and then of course, like you mentioned, I do have four kids, 18, 16, 13, and 11. So we're super busy. On the professional side, I own a, a construction company, specifically it's concrete, and um, and it, it's done very very well. And in addition to that, also best-selling author of Life 45. So we have a couple of books in the queue that uh, my wife and I are authoring, and I'm authoring alone. And then, of course, I do pastor full-time here in Akron, Ohio, so there's a lot of things going on in my world.
1: All right, so what's the uh, what's the name of the church where you pastor? The, the church that I pastor right now is
2: called Springfield Baptist Church, and just very quickly, you know, we planted two churches, one here in Akron called Movement Church, and then one in Palm Springs called Movement Church West, and okay. a little bit of a kind of a a transitional period brought us back here to Ohio where I said, you know, I'm never going to pastor again. And then there's this, there's a, an acquaintance of mine that said, hey, our pastor's retiring after 22 years. They really need to take this traditional church and, and kind of redo it so that it can live and last another 100 years. Would you be interested? Of course, I said, no, 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 no. My wife said, yes, definitely and here we are almost 2 years <laughs> into that whole process. So it's been great, really has.
1: Now, you you're originally from California? Or?
2: Yeah, my my uh my mom hitchhiked out there when she was 16, uh met my dad at 19, had me at 20, and then we moved back when I was 4. So I lived in 29 Palms, which I think you understand. I think you were yeah. in the Marine Corps, right? So you probably yeah. have been there. <laughs> yeah. Um and and so Lived in 29 Palms, was born in Palm Springs, and then, of course, when we went back in 2017, we, we lived uh, we lived in Yucca Valley. So,
1: Okay. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Now, have you always been in, I mean, you're leading a church, so has that always been something that you've wanted to do, or how did you get into that role?
2: It's a great question. I had no idea that I, I was a leader. I had no idea that I was sort of an entrepreneur, and really, honestly, when it comes to church planting, you certainly have to be. Uh, it's almost every skill I'm also a business owner, so planting churches versus starting businesses is infinitely greater and more of a challenge than it is starting businesses because you're working with people who have no vision and no money, and here you are trying to start something from nothing but really, it started when I was young uh fifteen years old i was it was pretty radically had a kind of pretty radical conversion story, and shortly after that, somebody had asked me to. Preach, and I never preached before. Don't know why they asked me, and on a Sunday morning they asked me, and so here I am in front of 200 old people. Never have done this before. I'm preaching a message that I still remember this day called the Salvation Security System. And uh, afterward, the pastor of that church came up to me and gave me a uh, an envelope. And uh, I, you know, waited to, obviously till I got out to the car. My mom was driving because I was 15, didn't have a driver's license. Opened the envelope and it was a $25 check. And I knew in that instant that I was going to spend the rest of my life literally helping people and their relationship with God and also taking care of my family. I didn't have a family, but that was really what was clearly kind of felt in that moment. And here we are, I'm 39 years old, and it's been one heck of
1: a ride, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but still holding strong. Well, that's awesome. That's that's a cool story. And um, I I think... um, certainly helped drive your passion, uh, to following Christ is just having that experience of talking to, you know, people that are kind of in, in authority to you, kind of talking to them about their, their religious background or their their religious beliefs. Right. Absolutely.
2: I mean, you know, for me, my relationship with my father wasn't, it was pretty much non-existent just because I lived here and he lived in California. And uh, and so for whatever reason, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. I've always had this internal drive to seek mentorship. If anyone was doing anything that I wanted to do or I thought was noble, I would seek out that mentorship via via personally like, hey, I'm going to actually have a conversation with you. I'm going to, you know, that, that that that's been pastors in the past. Uh, I had a pastor that really took me under his wing, and I, I would go. He would take me to retirement homes, and they would literally wheel these these older people into this room, and I would preach this message at 16 years old. And, you know, they were, like, literally just dead, just on the verge of death. And yet he took time after church on a Sunday to take me to these retirement homes so that I could preach to these people to hone in my craft. That's really what it was all about. So from people like that to the more prolific people, to people that I read about and study and, and, you know, mentors from up close and afar and really just trying to figure out life. I mean, I'm just an avid student of life. If you're doing something that I want to do, I, I want to learn what you're doing so that I can be successful and really every area of my life. And, and we can talk about that, you know, if you want to in a little while. Well, that's
1: cool. So you have four kids, that's a busy household. And they, they, they're ranging in ages, so you got, you got quite a spectrum there from 18 down to 11. When you and your wife were having kids, what, how would you get, describe your guys' parenting style? That's a great question. Obviously, we were young,
2: having kids, I'm married at 18. I think I had my first child when I was 20. Because her and I are completely different, which opposites attract. Her parents are still married, live on the same road. You know, my wife's entire life, my parents never were married. So we're coming from different sides of the track that proposes, you know, a unique kind of learning curve in and of itself. But as we both were very serious about being good parents, one thing I always say is you need to raise your kids with your grandkids in mind. And what I mean by that is, you know, every one of us has things that have happened as a result of the way our parents raised us good or bad that make us either want to mimic that to our children or change it up. And I think we need to think, through that a little bit more to think. Okay, how are our? How would our kids respond to this, and how would they change it if they could? Meaning, raise our kids or our children with our grandchildren in mind. And so, what we've developed over the years, obviously, is a more authoritative style of parenting. In that, um, and this has been a process. I Man, I have an 18-year-old, you know, kid. So this has been a long time in the works, but really with a, I'm sure, you know, some of the listeners know, some of them don't, there's really four styles of parenting. There's the authoritative, the authoritarian, there's the permissive. And then of course the neglectful. Well, the authoritative is, is one that really has a high view of discipline, but also a high view of love. And what that provides for your child is like a sense of security and structure and also a self-esteem. And there's a relational quotient there because it's not the authoritarian kind of parent where they say, you know what, it's my way or the highway. You do what I want you to do and you don't ask me any questions. That's high discipline, but low love. And so we try as much as we can to model the authoritative, which means high discipline, like when we say something, we expect you to listen to us, but at the same time, high love, like we're going to hear your side, we're going to hear your feelings as much as we possibly can. And, and sometimes that's difficult to balance, but we try our best to, to make it happen.
1: Yeah. And you guys, uh, you guys practice what you preach, right? And you guys are, you guys are authoritative parents, but you're, you're out there showing it, showing the way that you want them to be through, through your own practices. Absolutely. Because, you know, 90% of parenting is caught, right? It's
2: caught. It's not taught. And it does not matter what we say at the end of the day. And I've always had this thing like deep in the crevices of my soul that I don't really care who I'm leading christ or who i'm leading to a better life if i neglect my kids in the process you know and that's one of the reasons why we moved back from california because our church we planted out there in palm springs was doing great i mean it was incredible what was happening but um, my oldest daughter fell into a depression and she wasn't connecting you know when i was a kid when we moved and i was very transient growing up it was like hey jimmy i'm moving to florida now Um, If I ever come back, I'll ride my bike over to your house and see if you still live there and then we'll hang out, you know. But nowadays, with all the technology we have, it's good on the one hand, but on the other, it's not because what was happening was my, my kids, namely my oldest daughter at the time, could not disconnect from the reality of her friends back here long enough to connect to the relationships there in California and just really fell into a depression And then all of course the emotional weight of carrying that just my wife and i not really having a large support system of family and cousins and friends uh we just it really really took a toll to where i had to make a decision and the decision was am i going to practice what i preach or am i going to keep kind of playing this game and i've always said if i have to choose between my family or my ministry i'll choose my family and so i sat our kids down And we have what these, what's called family meetings and everybody gets an opportunity to talk and and no matter what age you are, you have, you know, everybody's going to listen. And I said, here's the deal. What kind of father would I be if I had the, if I had the ability to keep you from, from pain, but I didn't do it. And I knew that I could, I could, I could change it. And it was a rhetorical question. And basically the decision that I made and I led them in that moment was we're going to move back to Ohio. And so for me, that was, I'm out of ministry. Everything I'd been working for, for 20 years was gone. Essentially, you know, I had to go to my boss. They invested high, heavy money into us because they had seen, we had success in Ohio, planting a church. And, and I had to say, listen, I've got to choose my family over this ministry because that's my first priority. What would have happened if I would have continued down that road and we would have seen thousands of people come to Jesus. But then I would have lost my kids in the process. To me, that does not sound like a win. And I could be, of course, that could sound selfish or biased. And you what know, the reality is, it is. It just is. Right. They they mean a lot to me. You know.
1: That's good. And I think I think you felt the calling on your on your heart from God that that. Uh, he, he was trying to guide you towards that direction, too. It wasn't so much that he needed you to run the church. He needed you to, to be there for your family, because I think ultimately that is the church. Your family is the church. So um, I think that's awesome. From your parents in raising you, what what do you think is the single most important thing that you learned from them, and how has it impacted you as a father? Yeah, I, again, that's, that's a really good question. For
2: me, single most is a pretty heavy thing. and As I think about that, and I try to be as vulnerable as possible with all of this, what I will say is there are negative mentors and positives. My relationship with my parents now is really, really good, and I honor them. So I want to be careful with how I say what I'm going to say. But the thing that I learned most was was really what I wanted to see changed. What I mean by that is, I was born in California, lived in Florida or lived in Ohio. We moved to Florida. We moved back to Ohio. There was a lot of transience there. there. was a lot of, there was a lack of stability, which is one of the reasons why I think I was adamant about getting married at 18. That's not something that I recommend. It's just, I knew the girl that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And I wanted to provide a stable place for us. And, and so the thing that I learned. Through this, the single most important thing that I learned from my parents was that I did not want instability, that I wanted structure, and that I wanted stability for my kids, a place for them to call home uh, so that they could have a good, solid base that I I wanted so desperately as a kid, man. I just, I craved it. I craved the mom that was home, and I craved the dad that would play catch with me, but I didn't have it, and so therefore, I created it. That's
1: what I learned. Yeah, um, I, similar to me, um, I didn't have so much of the instability where we were moving around and such, but, uh, my parents worked so much, you know, we're very similar in that area. My, my parents worked so much that they weren't really involved in my life. And I've, i told this story before, but, you know, I can count on one hand, how many sporting events that my parents actually came to. Um, I played a lot of sports in high school and as a kid, and I used to go to practices and games with my parent, with my friend's parents because my parents weren't around and it was one thing that it's part of the reason why I was so involved with my boys uh, as they grew up is I knew what it felt like to not have a parent around and I didn't want my kids to experience that. So I made sure that I was ultra involved in their lives and everything that they did. So, um, so yeah, I can certainly, uh, certainly understand what you're saying. Yeah.
2: That I'm sure you know, that they, I would, I just would love to hear from them, like how much that meant to them right. that you were at every game, that the first and last day of school, like you made them a priority. That's probably going to be something that's never, ever going to escape them.
1: No, it's not. And, you know, we have talked about it before. Um, I think they were so, I don't, they're not used to the the other side of it. You know what I mean? They, they're yeah. just used to me being there or their mom being there all the time, That they have no idea what the other side of it's like. So for me, I coach high school basketball. And even though my boys are out of high school now, I still coach a high school level mm-hmm. because I like to be that, that, I get not necessarily that father figure, but that positive role model in these boys' lives that you know i I coach players now that don't have parents around because their parents are working, and I know what they're thinking, I know what they're feeling, yeah. and i know uh, and it so it, that I resonate with them because I know exactly where they're coming from, and i if I can be that role model for them um, then uh, I mean that's why I do it, that's why I coach because it's just I want to be there for those guys so.
2: Yeah. And I would have
1: been one of those kids that would have
2: gravitated to a guy like that, like you, that would have just taken a moment just to notice me, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then me coming out of my shell going, okay. And I had coaches that believed in me and I try, you know, I, I took my game to a whole nother level because I knew that they believed in me. It's exactly right. what I wanted. So I think that's powerful, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have uh, I still have players today that are, now out of high school and grown men that have reached out to me. I actually had just this past year, I, um, before COVID and all that, he, I had a player that reached out to me and wanted to have, um, lunch with me to just kind of, Talk to me about the direction of his life and where he's to go and what kind of interests he has and how to get started. And, and so we sat down and we, we went to lunch together and had like a two-hour lunch where we just, you know, I had him write out his goals. I had him talk about the things that are important to him. I had him talk about what he, what his um, ambitions are, what his dreams are. And I really, uh, really connected with him. And we stayed in touch for a long time for that so I could get him kind of started into this adult life because it's it's challenging and kids don't understand that they face so many, there's so many challenges that they'll face when they're adults and they yeah. need to be ready for them without a father figure or a parent figure in their life to really help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to turn to somebody else. And, and so I was, I was glad that I, that he had seeked me out for that because uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously I had an impact for him as a player when he was in high school. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> well, cool. Um, challenges. Now, uh, obviously you've got, you know, you got girls, you got boys, women. What challenges and you got all ages from 18 yeah. to 11. What challenges do you face as a dad, and how are you dealing with those challenges? I know you talked a little bit about your daughter going through some some depression and all that, but you know mm-hmm. what kind of challenges are you facing right now, and how are you dealing with them?
2: Yeah, I mean every family if you peel back the curtain has challenges. For us, you know we don't we don't try to hide those things at all. We want to be upfront and forthright with them. And, and there really are, th- th- there are a lot. The two that come to mind for me right now is navigating the new ages and stages that are unique to each child and each stage of life. And that's mm-hmm. something that's probably going to, to continue. Even after my kids are out of the house, now they're going to have their own, you know, they're going to get married and then they're they're going to have their own children. And so I'm sure there are going to be calls, dad, mom, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So, on and so forth. I don't think parenting ever stops. However, right now, having an 18-year-old that still lives at home, just graduated high school, and in that transitional period, it's interesting trying to figure out the art of leading and letting go at the same mm-hmm. time. And so, you know, I don't always get that right. And and so I'm learning through that, and that's new to me and new to this stage. And then subsequently, each child that comes, comes to that age and in that, same, you know, kind of season they're different every kid that i have is a different kid from the other kids and so you know it's not a one parenting style kind of fits all situation so i'm trying to be cognizant and trying to learn and trying to listen trying to become the best uh, that i can through that but then the other one and this one is interesting it's a dichotomy to me the challenges we're talking about here when when my kids were younger we had a lot of time and it sounds silly you know, because I should have been grinding and I was grinding, but I'm certainly not as busy, you know, I wasn't as busy then as I am today. So we had a lot of time, but what we didn't have a lot of was treasure. And so we would do meaningful things together. And, and, and that, you know, whether it's taking a hike at Joshua Tree National Monument or going to, you know, the gorge or daddy dates on particular nights, you know, that we would do all the time, so on and so forth. There was a lot of time, but not a lot of treasure. But now it's sort of shifts to where this is a challenge and it's that, that's where it's a dichotomy. Because now there's there's treasure. In other words, we can go where we want and do what we want. But what I don't have a lot of is time. So I'm squeezed for time. And the the weird tension there is the fact that they don't really want the treasure. They want the time. Right. And so I'm trying to be intentional about what I say no to in my schedule so I can I don't slip into that thing that you had spoke about with your parents. And the thing that I spoke about with mine in that it's not that they were too busy. It's just that they just, they had other things going on. They weren't working necessarily. They just had other things going on. So that's something that I have to, that's a tension for me right now, knowing that I'm cognizant of it. Cause I know, I know that the the problem here and I think it's easy for parents out there to just go, okay, let me give you some money. Let me give you some things. To occupy your time, when they don't really want the money or things,
1: they really just right. want
2: you. You know, right. so right. That's, what, that's what I'm working on, man.
1: Yeah, uh, it is. It's a challenge for sure. Now, with your daughter being 18, is she in college yet? No, oh, so she's actually not. She's chosen not to go to college, which we support.
2: And what she's doing is we are. She has started her own photography business. Okay. And and it's going pretty well. And what we told her was. It's okay for you not to go to college, but it's not okay for you to not have a plan and so she's worked real hard, and she's doing you know she's keeping busy, she just had a photo shoot yesterday or the day before um and we're really trying to kind of um i guess nurture and support her decisions and her gifting. She just knows school she just knows school isn't for her. You know, so, and she feels funny about that. She's like, they're going to ask me where I'm going to school. They're going to ask, you know, if we go to a family function or anywhere new or people haven't seen her, she just graduated. So they're going to ask me, dad, they're going to ask me you know, and I just, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm a failure. I'm not doing these things. And, and we're just reminding her, no, you're wise because you're emotionally healthy enough to know that college isn't the best idea for you now. And so you're producing, you're pursuing other avenues.
1: Oh, very cool. So she's already getting; she's got that entrepreneurial spirit in her. She's wanting to start her own, start her own business. So that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Awesome. Now, kind of through your through your journey as a Christ follower, what lessons have you tried to teach your kids about leading a life of faith?
2: Great question. I think the simple answer to that: what we've always tried to do, my wife and I, is just kind of live and lead through a, a like a priorities based life is really what I would call that. And so there's a scripture verse, uh, don't want to get too preachy, but there's a scripture verse that it's Matthew 6.33. It just says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So seek first. So first things first. And and so, you know, as a Christ follower, we've really tried to lead that way and, and make that something that's more caught than taught. Um, our relationship with Christ is first. That's what it is. And so, and for you, and what that translates is into for them in, in the conversations we've had is, you know your beliefs aren't always going to be popular, and that's okay.
1: Right, right. It's okay.
2: You, you don't have to. You don't have to go with the crowd. In fact, we spend and I have this conversation with my son a lot. I mean, he's an amazing leader as a young thirteen-year-old boy. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Just, but I, you know, I always say we're not we're not created to fit. So much of my life, I always wanted to fit in, but we're really created to stand out to become a peculiar people. And, and that's the essence of leadership. And one of the ways in which we do that is how we live our lives as it pertains to what our belief system is. And, and so in that, the last thing I use, what we we tell them is just lead with love. There's got to be a gap in the middle and being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean a matter of fact, it doesn't mean at all that you're going to lead with judgment. You're just going to lead with love. This is the way we do things. We love you. And you know what, if you want to come along with us, you can, but if you don't, that's cool too.
1: That's awesome. Now you you're, an entrepreneur at your own construction company, you've written some books. I mean, do you have, is there any hope that maybe your kids will kind of follow in your footsteps and kind of take over the, the business or are you, uh, are you kind of want them to kind of go on their
2: own? I'm totally open to that. But the thing that I'm very aware of is the fact that I don't ever want to press them to become something that I, I never was, but I always wanted to be. So, you know, whether it's sports or even being a, a preacher, for example, like my son, you know, if he, if he were to, this is not something that, you know, your dad was a preacher. And so you need to follow in my steps, footsteps and become a preacher too. So, so it's just like a lineage thing. Nope. I really just want to leave that totally wide open. And if that's something that he wants to become, then he can become that. My daughters, if, you know, if, if running, this business is something that they want to be a part of by all means, if they show that they have the, uh, the competence the capacity and really the desire to do it, I want to help them as much as I possibly can become whoever God created them to be, which isn't always what I thought it was going to be. You know what I mean? It, it can be yeah. different, and I want to nurture that, and that's okay. So I'm wide open, man. I'm I'm totally open <laughs> to anything. You know? That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Now uh, I don't know your kids, but uh, they're they're of age that if I were to ask them, tell me something about their dad. Uh, what what would you think they would say about you?
2: Well, <laughs> the, the truth is, I asked them that question. <laughs> all right, and and all four of them responded. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the real and the raw answers. Go for is it. Is that okay? Okay, and so I asked them, and here's what they said. My 16 year old daughter said, "You you're always putting us before yourself." And my 13 year old son said, "I would say that my dad is the man he is today because." He knows where he needs to improve and he sees his mistakes and he puts a lot of time and energy into correcting himself. My eighteen year old daughter said, I would say that you're hardworking and driven and that you always provide for us. And then my eleven year old daughter, Brooklyn, she says this. She says, I think that you definitely follow through with what you say. Even if something if it's something small, like I'm not allowed to have my device for twenty four hours. You won't give it back any earlier simply because you don't you, you want to stick to your word. And I think that if I were to say one sentence to describe you, it would be that you put others before yourself all the time. And mm-hmm. that's, that's their real and raw answers. That's awesome. So how does that make you feel, Jeremy? And That makes me feel good. I mean, I think that they're great kids. And, you know, and, and I'm always aware. I, I, I'm i aware of my mistakes and flaws, and I'm trying to be. In other words, I'm not afraid to say I'm sorry if I, if I screw something up. Because I think the greatest joy of my life, Brian, really, truly, is to be a husband and a dad. That's like, if you take those two things away from me, any accomplishments, external accomplishments in this world, any plaque that I can hang on my wall really mean nothing than to be a husband where my wife says, you know what, you love me well. And to be a father where my kids say, you know what, you did what you said you would do, that you're an honest man and that you did the best you could raising us. That mean we're perfect because we're not, but we strive to be better. That That's what means everything. Like, I want to be famous, but in my own home. That's mm-hmm. where I want to be
1: famous. That's awesome. Well, very, very cool. Now, I'm, I'm glad that you asked your kids that. It's something that I have asked my kids in the past, uh, and when I ask that question to dad, sometimes it catches them off guard because it's not a question that that a lot of dads think about asking their kids, they just don't. Wow. Some some kids will give you silly answers, you know. Um, other kids will take it more seriously. Your kids certainly took it seriously and, and gave you gave as, gave you honest raw answers, so that's good. You've got you've got a couple books out, and what are the names of your books? Tell me what they're about, and also how people can get them. To- well, thank you.
2: Yeah, I have my, my wife and I wrote a book. It's a it's a best selling book, and it was a number one new release on Amazon. It's called Life Forty Five. Uh, four simple steps to promises to yourself and taking back your life and i'm in the process of finishing our second book my second book which is called blue collar millionaire and really it's it's all about how to take a small mom and pop business and grow it into obviously a seven figure business where you can scale it to step aside or to sell and and so the little caveat to that is the value based life that we that we live my wife and i back in twenty eighteen, we really sat down, actually late seventeen, and figured out what are our values. And so they're F words. And so it's faith, family, finances, fitness, and friends. And and so we base our life around those five things. And the books that we're writing actually are based out of those value systems. So obviously the Life 45 book is a fitness book, but it's not just fitness because we have we understand what it's like to to, you know, win in business, but lose in our health. And that's what happens to a lot of people. We start to make money, we get comfortable, and we start to get lackadaisical in our, in our health and wellness. Well, what good is money if you don't have the body that can actually enjoy it? And so we teach you how to grow your, your discipline to incredible levels, which is not what this podcast is about. But that's in that book. You can purchase it off of Amazon, literally just Life 45. I think it's on sale right now. It's five bucks. And pick that thing up because it's good. And then of course, Blue Collar Millionaire is the finance portion where we love business and we love, I love business and helping people. We have this year and our goals to write four total. I'm finishing number two. The other two are about marriage. And then of course, about parenting and family, because Mm -hmm. these are things for us that fit within our value system and our like long time goal our end, end goal here and things that we're already doing now, but we really want to spend more time doing, Fran and I, my wife, is to help people win in those five areas of their life. That is our passion. So yeah. to write books, to speak, to coach, to lead, to help, to develop, so that you don't just win at you know, work but lose at home. You don't just you know win at home but lose in your health. What kind of proximity in, in terms of your friends do you have? Who are you getting around? that uh, will take you to the next level and that you can speak into that you could take to the next level, these types of things. And I think that's an intentionally totally congruent life. And that's what I want to spend the next 34 years of my life, 30 or 40 year of my life doing with
1: my bride. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Um, both books actually. And then, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you got to keep me updated on, uh, the next next set of books that are going to be coming out. So um, that's cool. Now, if my listeners want to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So the
2: best place obviously is the most, you know, most, uh, I guess famous place right now, which is just, I just Instagram and then my handle is at J Candelaria one. So I'd have to spell it. So it's just J C A N D E L A R I A one. And you'd find me there. And of course, I'm on Facebook and I dabble in Twitter just a little bit, but probably Instagram would be the best.
1: Well, cool. Well, Jeremy, I am glad we've connected. I'm glad we've become friends. I'm looking forward to continuing our friendship together. I appreciate uh, your, all the things that you've done for your life and for your family. And I appreciate uh, uh, you coming on and sharing your experiences with me and my listeners. So thank you very much for, for being on. Well,
2: again, thank you, Brian, for having me. Thank you so much for the Data Podcast and what you're doing for dads that seek to be better dads. I'm so grateful that you're taking the time out of your life to make us better. Appreciate you.
0: Well, there you have it. Another exciting episode complete. My guest today certainly represents the data community very well. Continue to stay tuned because my shows with amazing guests comes out every week. You don't want to miss out. Please help the show by subscribing and leaving a rating. I would love your feedback. If you know anyone this show could help, please share it with them. I don't want anyone missing out on what it takes to be a great parent. If you have comments or questions, please let me know. You can message me on my Instagram page at DadUpPodcast. I read all your comments and respond to them all. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show. This is DadUp.